We have heard in Luke's gospel angelic announcements of miraculous conceptions. Elizabeth, in her old age, will give birth to a son whom, who will be named John, and we will know him as John the Baptist, the prophet who announces the arrival of Jesus. The same angel came to Mary, a, a virgin, and told her she would give birth to the Son of God, to Jesus the Savior. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, she is pregnant with God's Son. And so listen as I read in the Gospel of Luke. I'm, I'm going to begin reading in Luke 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's bow in prayer. God of grace and mercy, we thank you for the, the true gospel hope that is given to us today. As we read your word, as we have heard this gospel sung and announced in our songs, in the scripture readings that we have, to which we have listened, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, spiritually to understand what you speak to us today. Father, for those who, who don't yet know Jesus as Savior, I pray that in the preaching of your word, your spirit would be active, bringing new life, spiritual life to those that listen. Lord, give us confidence in your word that we might have hope, real and lasting hope. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. The quickening. It's a medical term, kind of a quaint medical term, filled with maternal warmth. Quickening, the first time a mother feels her child move in her womb. It's an ancient description of, of a child moving that's still used in medical literature today. And for much of history, before the powerful imagery with which we first see our children, the quickening provided assurance to a mother of her baby's healthy growth. But still, even with pregnancy tests telling us that a baby's on the way, with ultrasounds that let us see a child's movement, 
a mother still treasures her baby's first movements. A, a women's magazine gathered reactions from pregnant mothers as they describe the quickening in, of, their, of their children. One mom says, it felt like being tickled from the inside. I was eating cake when I first felt my baby kick, and then every few bites, I felt more and more tickles. Another mom says, the first time feeling our son kick felt like butterflies in the pit of my stomach. It was weird because it was so unexpected. And up until that time, it didn't really hit me that I was pregnant. A, a third mother says, it's the most spectacular feeling I've ever experienced. The best way to describe the sensation is like having a private party with just you and your child and no one else is invited. You will sometimes see me stop and smile out of nowhere or rub my belly with a comical grin on my face as if to say, all right, buddy, I know you're in there. Now, I suspect some of you as mothers wouldn't use such poetic language to describe the descriptions. I skipped over the, the more uh, tummy-rumbling kinds of descriptions. But it's a, a precious moment when a mother feels the movement of her child in her womb. When Mary, the pregnant mother of Jesus, arrives in Judea, we could add Elizabeth's experience to the, the list of quotes in the magazine comments. But Elizabeth's sensation is not a private party between only a mother and child. In the quickening of John the Baptist, we have a prophetic announcement. We're told that the baby leaps for joy at the arrival of the Savior, the Son of God. The mother pronounces a Holy Spirit-inspired blessing upon Mary. Because look back with me at, at, at the scene. Mary has traveled from her town in, of Nazareth. And remember, that's such a small town that we needed to be reminded, oh, that's up in Galilee. She's traveled from Galilee now south down to Judea the outskirts of Jerusalem, likely to a small town, because Zechariah still ministers as a priest in the house of God, so he needs to be near the temple. And, and when she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, look, look at what we read in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The unborn child whose name we'll learn is John. You and I will remember him as John the Baptist, the one who makes the prophetic announcement when, when he sees Jesus begin his public ministry. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This unborn prophet leaps in his mother's womb at the arrival of Jesus. And, and so that we don't miss what's happening Elizabeth explains it to us. Look at, look at verse 44. It's not just a fluttering, not just butterflies moving. What does she say in verse 44? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's a prophetic purpose in the action of John the Baptist. There is joy because the Savior has come. John's role as a prophet begins before his birth. In a society that debates the legal status of a child, God makes clear that the unborn have value and dignity. Even a prophet can act before his birth. He leapt 
for joy. And remember, that's not just Elizabeth as a, as a mother saying, oh, well, I mean, that's how I'm going to interpret it. It felt like a, a joy-filled kind of movement. No, look back at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit describing to us what has happened in Elizabeth's womb. She understands it because God himself has made it known to her. And remember, here at the end of the Old Testament, before the arrival of Jesus, I mean, I know it's the beginning of the New Testament, but we're still, I mean, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets to arrive, the last one before the Messiah comes. Remember, to be filled with the Holy Spirit was an occasional experience for believers in the Old Testament. For you and I, after the resurrection of Christ, with the promise of Jesus that he would pour his Spirit upon the church, every one of us now as believers in Christ has the, the, the present and powerful presence of the Spirit in our lives. But before the ministry of Jesus, the work of the Spirit was just to some believers, and just some of the time. And so it's, it's significant that we're told Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, so that she can interpret for us what is the movement in her womb. It's the, the very work of God through the unborn prophet announcing joy to the world. The Lord is come. And then the prophetess, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, prays a blessing upon Mary. Look at what happened in, in verse 42. Elizabeth, now filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told in verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, the, the description that Luke gives us of what happens here, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, you might need to use a loud voice if somebody arrives to your house and you're on the far side of the house. You might need a loud voice to, so that they would hear you. But in the ancient Judean countryside, there were very few large houses and a, and a priest working in Jerusalem would not have one of them. And so there's no reason for the loud voice in order to be heard. Why does, why does Elizabeth speak with a loud voice? I mean, she could have whispered and Mary would have heard her. It's because she's filled with the Spirit and, and the blessing that comes upon her just pours forth. In a loud voice, she prays this blessing, this benediction upon Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. She understands that the grace that God gives is undeserved, that it's blessing from God. Like we saw the angel announce to Mary herself that she has been blessed by God, graced by God, that she has received favor from God. And as soon as Elizabeth pours out this blessing, she, she in humility realizes who she is. Verse 43, but why, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why should I be a recipient of this blessing? Why should I, bearing a, a child in my old age, have a prophet leap for joy in my womb? This is the blessing of God even upon me to just be in the presence of Mary, the mother of God. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so Elizabeth pours out blessing upon Mary. Blessing because Mary has believed that what God has announced will come true. That she believes that God will accomplish his purposes. 
Now, so far in Luke's gospel, we've had an angel arrive and announce hope. Gabriel arrives and gives hope to Zechariah that his wife, even in her old age, will give birth to a son, John. The, the same angel, Gabriel, arrives to, to Mary and speaks that the hope to her, that the Savior would be born. Now, Mary responds in faith, but Zechariah in disbelief. Wait, wait, that can't be possible. And so Zechariah, the priest, has been silenced by God. But God himself won't be silenced. God speaks through these two mothers and even through an unborn baby so that you and I know that joy has come into the world. And so Mary, after a long journey, arrives and receives an unexpected blessing from God. The confirmation that, that what the angel has told her is true. Because Elizabeth has heard from the angel as well. Elizabeth and Zechariah have heard the hope. She sees the, the pregnancy. She's, she, I mean, Elizabeth is six months in. She's showing. It's obvious she's pregnant at this point. Mary hears the, the announcement from her that she is blessed by God. The, the prophetic response of leaping for joy, giving Mary a hope and comfort that what God has said to her is true. And in response then to the blessing that comes from God through Elizabeth, what, what does Mary do? She begins to sing. She has a song of praise already on her lips. My soul glorifies the Lord. She follows the example of the Old Testament Psalms, which, which pour forth praise to the glory of God for what he has done for us, for his blessing and mercy. Now, it's possible that this is a spontaneous song of joy, or it's possible that she's been humming this to herself for many days since the angel first arrived as she walked the, the long and dusty roads from Galilee down to Judea, that she's been reflecting on the Psalms of Scripture and that God has given her words that she can sing herself. And as we look here at, at Mary's song, I, I want us to see that, that, that Mary begins with herself, that God has blessed her. It's personal for her. But then she describes that God's blessing goes to everyone, Everyone who, who fears the Lord can receive the same blessing from God. So it's personal and it's universal. And all of that is rooted in the very promises that God made to the nation of Israel, the promises that God made to Abraham. So it's covenantal. It's rooted in God's promise, in his covenant. It's personal, it's universal, and it's covenantal. L look at how Mary begins. My soul glorifies the Lord. Now, perhaps your, your biblical heading describes this as Mary's song or maybe even Mary's magnificat, taking the Latin phrase for glorifies or magnifies the Lord. The description that, that as soon as she receives blessing, what does she do? She reflects that blessing back to its source. Mary doesn't, doesn't, doesn't ask for worship from others. She reflects worship and glory right back to God because he is the one who has blessed her. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She doesn't merely echo the words of the Old Testament Psalms. She internalizes them. She sings them and prays them as her very own. 
now speaking the, the words of Scripture for us so that we can join in her song. She says in verse 48 that the Lord has been mindful of her humble state. She calls herself again the servant of the Lord. It's the same response she gave to the angel Gabriel, that she was willing to be the Lord's servant. She recognizes that, that from now on, generations will call her blessed because God has done something remarkable. The Mighty One has done great things. Holy is his name. Having glorified God and seen her humility, she gives praise back to God because she recognizes the blessing that she has been given was not only for her. It wasn't that she sort of took this gift and held on to it privately. No, the blessing of bearing the Son of God is so that others would be blessed. She, yes, will be called blessed for many generations, but it's because they too receive the blessing that comes through this Son, through this Savior. God has done remarkable things. And so for Mary, this blessing is personal. But notice as she continues that that the, the blessing she's received is blessing that will, will extend to everyone. Look at verse 50. God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's mentioned that generations will call her blessed because those generations will receive mercy from God. The undeserved forgiveness that comes not because of anything good in us. Remember, Mary views herself as a servant, she sees herself in a humble estate. And yet she sees that the way God works is contrary to the way the world works. We get, we get blessing because we've accomplished things on our own. I mean, students. I, I think rarely do you have a, a teacher whose response to you on a test is entirely rooted in mercy. Where the teacher, it, it doesn't matter, they just flip through. Oh, I, you know what, I'm in a good mood, so you just get full credit today. Now, you might have merciful teachers that will let you do, do an extra assignment or, or perhaps retake an exam if you've done really poorly or, or will, will find ways for you to, to validate what you've learned. But in, in our schoolwork, in our courses, we, we get the answer right or wrong based on what we remember, what we've accomplished. Or in your vocation, you receive promotion or, or compensation based on how much you accomplish for your organization. See, the world works on the basis of merit. But in God's economy, he works on the basis of mercy, which is absolutely essential for us because like Mary, we are all humble. Like Mary, we should all, when seeing the glory of God, fear God in order to receive mercy, to see his awesomeness and in humility bow ourselves before him. Because Mary says that, that God's mercy extends to all who put their trust in him, to all who fear him, because God is turning the world upside down. Look at verses 51 and 52. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, for he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he continues this, this toppling of the mighty and this raising of the, the humble as we keep going in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. 
See, God doesn't work on the basis of merit or our own power or what we've accomplished. And Mary knows that. She's a teenage girl who's pregnant without ever having known a man. She is not yet married, and yet she carries the Son of God. She's a peasant who has had to walk this long journey from Galilee down to Judea. And yet God has blessed her. God, in his grace, has chosen the humble, and he brings the proud low. See, Mary comes not, not to receive blessing here, not to, not to sort of push her way and elbow her way into positions of power here surrounding Jerusalem, not to take over a, a palace. She comes as one who has received mercy from God because those who are proud will be brought low. Those who place themselves on thrones will be toppled by God, but God cares for the hungry. Those who have all that they need, well, that's all that they'll get. They'll be sent away with with nothing more. God operates according to mercy. His blessing is always undeserved and comes when we're willing to humble ourselves. See, Mary's song is personal for her. It's universal and then extends to, to all who will believe, but it's based in God's covenant. God will lift up the humble because God remembers his promise to be merciful. Look at verses 54 and 55. God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. The blessing comes not because the people deserve it, not because the nation deserves it, but because God keeps his promises. See, the blessing given to Abraham was a blessing that was always meant to flow out to others. Just as Mary is called blessed by Elizabeth, and yet this blessing extends from generation to generation. Well, that's the way blessing is always meant to work. You're blessed not to sort of take it and hoard it for yourself, but to extend the blessing to others. As we sing that the blessing of God is, extends as far as the curse is found, joy is spread to the world. Because that's what God had told Abraham. When, when God first called Abraham, he said, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that the world might be blessed through you. Think of the way God speaks to, to Abraham when he, when he calls him to himself. In Genesis 12, near the very beginning of the Bible, this is what we read in Genesis 12, verse 2. God speaks to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In three short verses, God repeats the language of blessing. He says it directly, that I will bless you and make you a blessing. You receive the mercy, the grace of God, so that it can be given to others. And then God ends this this call of Abraham by explicitly saying that all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. See, God keeps his promise God extends blessing to Mary and to the nations because he is faithful to himself. He made the promise, and so he will make the promise come true. 
And actually, it's not only in verses 54 and 55 of Mary's song that we see that. Those truths have been scattered throughout her song. She described back in verse 49, God as the mighty one who has done great things. The mighty one of Israel. The language used in the Old Testament to describe God as the warrior who would defeat the enemies of God's people. He is the one who will fight on behalf of his people. He will take them into the land that had been promised to Abraham. Even when they are unfaithful, God will prove his might. Even when they are weak, God will show his strength. Because God remembers the promise he made to Abraham to bless the nations. Mary had, had, had already said this in verse 51 as well, when she described that, that God had performed mighty deeds with his arm. Now, why with his arm? I mean, God does all kinds of things, and he just needs a word. He just needs a voice. But that language of, of God's mighty arm is the language of the exodus, the God would, would take his people out of slavery. The God would, would push the, the sea aside so that his people would walk through. The God's mighty arm would be the arm that, that holds the sword that would lead them into victory. Because God is the one who is accomplishing his mission on behalf of his people. He is the one who is blessing his people. And so Mary's song is personal and universal and covenantal. And we really need it to be all of this. If it was only personal, if this was just Mary's song, well then, I mean, maybe we'd kind of feel happy for Mary. Well, that's kind of nice. God chose this little girl and blessed her. And, but it'd be like standing on the outside, looking in through the windows, watching her at her baby shower, open the gifts and thinking, boy, it would have been nice to kind of have, to have been invited. And yet, it's more than personal. It's universal. It's extended to everyone who would believe. And that's good news because if it, even if it were covenantal, that if it was for everyone of, of Abraham's descendants, well, for many of us, that would, that would offer us no hope. Yes, we'd, we'd see the party happening. We'd have an example. Look at God's mercy. Look at how he treats the descendants, the children and grandchildren of Abraham. Wow, he's a really merciful God. And yet we'd still be on the outside looking in. But God's mercy extends to all. It can be yours if you receive it personally. Can you sing with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord? Can you call him, like Mary does, my Savior? Because God has blessed her. Verse 45 told us that, that she is blessed because she believed what the Lord said. She received God's blessing, and then she believed what God said. See, it, it's, it's more than personal, Mary's song, because it extends to all of us. But it can't be less than personal. Maybe you were brought here by a mother or grandmother. Her faith is not enough for you. You have to be able to say that God is my Savior. You have to humble yourself and in fear of judgment, put your trust in Jesus. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who will prove to be the mighty one of Israel. He will be the warrior who will defeat sin and death. Not with an army, but through his own sacrifice. 
mean, we can think of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal when they come to him with clubs and with swords and he tells them to do what you came to do. But he reminds his disciples, oh, don't you think that I have legions of angels? Remember, I'm the mighty one. I'm the warrior who leads angelic armies. I only go to the cross because I willingly go to the cross. Jesus will show us the mighty deeds of God. He shows us the power of God's arm, not merely by by gaining a, a, a military victory, but by stretching out his arms on the cross to show us the power of God's love. Jesus rescues us from more than, than physical or political oppression. Jesus rescues us from spiritual death. And it's through Jesus, a true son of Abraham, through Jesus, the faithful Israel, that the promises made to Abraham flow out to the nations. We are blessed because of the promises of God because of the ministry of Jesus. In a world that is trapped in darkness, Mary's song offers us hope. She arrives in Judea, a girl who's just now pregnant. And yet she receives blessing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Elizabeth. She hears of the prophetic action of the unborn prophet John leaping for joy. And so she sings and glorifies the Lord. Now the audience for her song, well, maybe it was just Elizabeth. Or maybe it took place in private, and the audience is only God himself. And yet, thankfully, the song of Mary becomes the song of the church because Luke decides after the resurrection of Jesus that he has to go and investigate. How did this all come about? And so when he interviews Mary, she, well, maybe she's been singing this song all along. And so he writes it down, and her song becomes the song of the church. The God is the one who is merciful to his people that he has sent the Savior to rescue us. When we are tempted toward hopelessness, Mary's song offers us hope. Thirty years ago, the front page of the New York Times carried the story of musician Vedran Smilovich. He had been the principal cellist for the Sarajevo Orchestra. Now, if you're doing the math in your head to 30 years ago, well, then you know what was happening in Sarajevo. His country had descended into violent war. And so one afternoon after his neighborhood had been bombed, in the midst of the rubble of buildings fallen down, Smilovich carried a plastic chair out into a pedestrian walkway and unfolded it. He sat down with his cello in the full dress regalia that he would have worn into the theater, and he decided to play. 
The city street had been destroyed because just a few days before, two high-explosive bombs had struck people waiting in a bread line outside a bakery. 22 of Vedran Smilovich's neighbors had been killed and more than 100 wounded. And so on this afternoon, Vedran Smilovich decides to offer a concert to his neighbors. He explains to the the journalist, that, that he's reaching for an anchor amid the chaos. That maybe if he plays music, it will offer hope to his neighbors. There are only two that come out to listen to him play. And neither of them lasts through the entire performance because bombs continue to fall on this city. And yet he wants his music to provide hope, some sense that the world could return to normal, that there is something left of beauty in the world. He explains, he says, I'm nothing special. I'm a musician. I'm a part of this town. And so like everyone else, I do what I can do. In a city where the ethnic minorities suffer together, he tries to bring light into darkness through his music. A lone musician against the military might of nations. We could describe Mary in very humble ways. A poor peasant. An unwed, pregnant teenage girl. A virgin mother. And yet she is blessed by God. And you and I are blessed through her. Her song brings hope in the darkness. But more than a mere symbol of hope, like a chalice in the rubble of a city that that has fallen into, into, into war, she bears the Son of God in her womb. And so her words bring not, not merely a glimmer of, of expectation, but bring the reality of God's presence to earth. Jesus is the Son of God. He comes as the Mighty One of Israel. He gathers his people from among the nations. Jesus offers mercy to the world. He lifts up the humble. We see in Mary's faith the exaltation of those that are lowly. This girl bears the Son of God in her womb. And we hear in the song of Mary our own hope. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Mary, has come to give you God's mercy. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of John leaping for joy at the arrival of the king. We thank you for the the ministry of Elizabeth, pronouncing blessing by your Holy Spirit upon Mary, the mother of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Mary, lifting her voice so that we might join in and give praise to her Savior, that we might call you our God, my Savior. But Lord, more than that, we thank you for the ministry of Jesus, your Son born of the Virgin Mary, 
born into a world bombed by our sin and broken by our rebellion. We thank you that he has come, not merely to let us hear a song of hope, but to bring hope itself, to give us the gift of eternal life through his death on the cross. Father in heaven, I pray that as we contemplate the power of your word, we might have faith to believe. We might have gospel hope to put our trust in you. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.